Before we get started, I want to quickly tell you about my brand new quiz, What Season Are You? It's a quiz that is kind of like the Enneagram, and it kind of involves a little bit of minimalism and Huga, and it's a great way to find out what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then how to use those strengths and weaknesses to thrive all year long, which takes me to the best part. Once you finish the quiz and you get your results, it'll tell you by percentages, which seasons fit your personality best, and then you'll be able to download a free year-long thrive guide that will share with you how to use those strengths and weaknesses all year long, no matter the season. So even if you're not a huge fan of winter or summer feels too hot for you, you'll be able to utilize all of the things that are your best traits and have fun all year long, no matter how you feel about the season. So to download that guide and take the quiz, first of all, you can head to ashtoncope.com slash season quiz. And then I want you to head to Instagram and let me know what season you got because everyone that I have talked to so far that took it said, I don't know that I love this answer because I hate this season, but the results are super, super accurate. (laughs) So even if you may not love winter, you might have a winter personality. So head to ashtoncope.com slash season quiz to take it and then let me know what you get. I can't wait to find out. Hello, friend. I'm Ashton Cope. I absolutely love food, eating, cooking, and most of all, talking about it. I've also always been so drawn and fascinated by the changing of the seasons and how it can affect our lives. A couple of years ago, I decided to start approaching our meals and routines from a seasonal perspective, and through plenty of trial and error, my family's life has changed for the better, and we're never looking back. My mission is to help you tune into the seasons in your own way, embrace the change, and love yourself a little more through the process. This is the Eat Your Seasons podcast. We are in our second week of the year already as I'm recording this episode, and that means that we are creeping closer to the date that most Americans ditch their resolutions for the year. Some studies show that most ditch their resolutions by February 1st, and others say it's as soon as the 19th. That's not even three weeks into the year and people are letting go of their big goals for the year. Now, in my opinion, a huge reason for that is that one big resolution is not an effective way to set and tackle goals. And for more on that reasoning, as well as tactical steps to set goals that you can stick to, you can listen in to episode 12, where I share the good, the bad, and the ugly of goal setting and how to do it in a way that doesn't set yourself up for failure. So that's episode 12. Now, another reason, though, why people may fall off the wagon and abandon their resolutions could be severe overwhelm when it comes to all of the lifestyle changes that you need to accomplish these huge feats on top of everything else that we have to juggle. Now, by keeping your goals small and making sure that you're setting the right ones that are aligned with your priorities in life, you may not end up feeling overwhelmed. But... What about those of us that are setting the perfect goals that are aligned with our priorities? 
we're the ones keeping our goals super small and super specific, and we're still feeling extremely overwhelmed, like we're drowning in our responsibilities. Well, then it's time to dig a little deeper and have a self-check-in or two. Overwhelm is such a loaded word because there could be multiple factors leading you to feel that way. It could be our own thoughts about our self-worth getting in our way. We could be setting the right goals, but still biting off way more than we can chew with our to-do lists. And it could also be that we're self-inflicting stress that could otherwise be prevented, leading to serious overwhelm. Now, if you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed and you're looking for an easy way to simplify your life while being able to lean into the things that you're already good at and already enjoy, I want you to head over to ashtoncope.com slash season quiz and take my what season are you quiz. It's a five minute or less quiz with some fun questions that you can answer really, really quickly and your test results come instantly in a series of percentages which are for the four seasons, and it tells you which ones you identify with more or which ones you identify with less. So typically, most of us have like one main season and one supporting season. For me, that's fall and winter. And when you get your results, which already offer a ton of insight as it is, you can then opt in for my year-long Thrive Guide, which you can sign up for just below your quiz results. And this guide dives even deeper into your seasonal personality or personalities, and it shares how to thrive all year by leaning into your existing preferences and loves no matter what the season is. And for my mom friends, there are even tips in there on how to thrive as a mom, and there's super quick win ways to feel like you did a really good job that day and give yourself some well-deserved praise. Now, I know how much this guide could make your life easier, simpler, and clearer. So I will continue plugging this quiz until I am blue in the face. Head to ashtoncope.com slash season quiz to find out your personality and download your Thrive Guide. So back to the topic of overwhelm. As I was having my own self-check-in and dug through my own yuck thoughts, trying to get to the bottom of why I was feeling so overwhelmed... I remembered something about myself that I've struggled with for most of my life. That is my high achieving tendency. I was that kid that needed to be the best. I needed to get the best test grade in class. I desperately wanted to win every science fair. And for the record, I never did. I got one honorable mention. I needed to be the first chair in band, and I wanted to climb the ladder of management at my first job in a movie theater as quickly as I possibly could. And if I didn't accomplish those things, I felt like a failure and like I wasn't worthy of any praise or positive feedback that I may have received. I stored all of my self-worth in the things that I was able to do, accomplish, or achieve, And not in my innate worth as a daughter, a sister, a friend, and just a human in general. Those tendencies followed me into adulthood when I got married and I had my girls too. If I didn't spend the unspecified number of hours of totally uninterrupted one-on-one time with the girls that my inner critic had somehow decided would make me a good and worthy mother, then I had failed for that day. And if there were messes in the house when Joe got home from work, I had failed that day in my stay-at-home mom position, regardless of what I had accomplished for that day. 
And for the record, I do still struggle with this, and not so much because of my own identity as a stay-at-home mom, but rather my husband's expectations for what he's always thought a stay-at-home mom is supposed to do. So we're still having really tough conversations around what our expectations are, what we need each other's expectations to be, and how we can find a healthy middle ground. So if you're in this boat too, you're in good company. Now, it's even harder as a mom who has secular work on top of your quote-unquote mom jobs, whether you work in or out of the home, or maybe you have a side hustle that you're trying to get off the ground like me. It feels like if you give one your full attention, then you're neglecting the other. But I promise you, you're not neglecting it. You're simply designating your time in order to give your full attention, which is your best attention, to one thing rather than divided attention to multiple things. And that never produces good results. So as I said, I'm actually finding my way out of the high-achieving high stay-at-home mom mentality, where I failed as a mother if I didn't accomplish everything on my mile-long to-do list. And that took a lot of work on my part. A lot of mindset shifts, a lot of motivational podcasts, a lot of self-reflection, and a ton of self-care. And I don't mean like bubble baths, wine, and face mask self-care. I mean like digging deep and figuring your own self out (laughs) self-care. And so the main thing that I had to tell myself over and over and over again is this. I don't have to tackle it all at once. In fact, it's humanly impossible to do that if I want to do everything well. I have to designate my time and my days and dedicate them to one thing at a time or one category. So in my case, I have two categories, a house category and a work category. Is today going to be a house day? Well, then I need to be okay and at peace with the fact that I'm not going to work much or at all in some cases. And if it's a work day, I need to be okay with the fact that the house isn't going to be touched that day, apart from maybe the tiniest bit of like surface tidying up. And I need to stick to my guns about that when the kids get home from school, making sure that they're cleaning up after themselves to lessen my workload on house days, which I prefer to have when I'm home alone and I can just power through all of that cleaning. And also in sharing my process with Joe when he gets home from work, he sees that I'm in my pajamas still and that there's still dishes in the sink and he says, what have you done all day? And like I said, (laughs) we're still having the tough conversations. But I do get it to an extent. When you work a manual labor job and you're used to seeing an actual finished tangible project to prove your productivity for the day, you may have trouble wrapping your mind around the mental and emotional load that someone else may have carried and maybe have had to work through that day since you can't actually see that progress being made at first glance. So by compartmentalizing all of the hundreds of my tasks and thoughts into categories, I allow myself to A, not feel so overwhelmed and defeated before I've even started the day, and B, actually feel pretty accomplished at the end of my day because I've been able to cross off most of my to-do list. So what if we're pretty good at compartmentalizing all your categories and dedicating certain days to certain tasks and you're still feeling super overwhelmed? Well, 
Speaking of to-do lists, you've probably heard time and again now that long 20 plus item to-do lists are totally ineffective and counterproductive and that the most productive people only put a few items on their to-do list every day. In fact, I've heard it called your big three for the day. So essentially you write down your big three as your main list, only three items, and then you have a secondary list where you can kind of brain dump all of those little things that nag in the back of your mind so that you have a safe place to keep them until they're ready to be tackled. You can slowly move a few secondary list items onto your big three every day. And I say slowly because we all have a lot of pressing matters to attend to before we can get to those secondary tasks. So it can take a long time to get them done. Now, there are so many resources about writing better to-do lists and being more productive. So if you want to dig into that more, I just Googled, should you write shorter to-do lists? And I found a ton of choices if you do want some options. But I want to highly recommend Jess Massey on Instagram. So her handle is at Jess, J-E-S-S Massey, M-A-S-S-E-Y, at Jess Massey. She's the founder of Hustle Sanely, which is the name of her business and her podcast, as well as the planner that she created, which are, in her words, made to help you prioritize your mental health and your relationships as you pursue your goals. And a side note, she just became a mom herself to a little baby girl, so I have a feeling that her productivity and goal-tackling content is going to get even more incredible and relatable when she comes back from her maternity leave. So give her a follow on either Instagram or follow or subscribe to her podcast, Hustle Sanely, and wait for all of the goodness and binge what she's already got while you wait. So to circle back to the reason that we're all here, we're feeling overwhelmed, and in need of tips for reducing overwhelm and just in general feeling better. So we've already discussed the need to categorize our days and our expectations for ourselves so that we can find more energy and attention for one thing at a time, and then we can do it better. And we've also discussed the need to shorten our to-do lists so that we can not only accomplish them every day, but also feel in control and confident about we've what we've been able to do. So now the next and final step in this process that I'm sharing with you today is a tougher pill to swallow. And that's because it's harder to pinpoint and the habits are a lot harder to break, but they are possible. So do not be discouraged here. So what am I referring to? I am talking about self-inflicted overwhelm. Now, research shows that a good chunk, and in many cases, the majority of our stress and overwhelm is self-inflicted, whether that be the product of perspective, poor boundaries, or perfectionism, a lot of our stress can be avoided with the proper plan in place. So according to psychologytoday.com, much of our stress comes from a simple question, which consists of two words, what? If whatever comes after, what if people hate my presentation? What if my child is left out at recess? What if someone in my life gets sick and I have to take care of them? We race ahead and we try to anticipate how something will turn out, and it's never well, of course, just to borrow suffering and unhappiness that are fortunately and usually a no show when the time comes. So it's self inflicted. 
But there are also so many factors in our life that do worry us, that do cause us to stress, and that do bring on the overwhelm. So what about those life-inflicted stresses like bills being due, kids getting sick, appliances or car parts breaking and needing to be replaced at a high cost? We can't help those, that's true. But we can control the way that we react to them and the way that we allow ourselves to feel about them and the way that we prepare for unexpected troubles in advance. And maybe not financially all the time if we're not in a place to be able to do that, but at least mentally prepare for big hurdles that could come along, for lack of a better word. So by allowing life-inflicted stress to throw us off track and send us spiraling, essentially we're still creating self-inflicted stress. So back to psychologytoday.com. One of the greatest ways that we can kick self-inflicted stress to the curb is to watch your language in your head. They say, tone down your self-talk. Now, I know that sounds like it's too easy, unrealistic, and a little hippy-dippy, but from a scientific viewpoint, our brains are so incredibly powerful. There are numerous studies to show this. They control every single function in our bodies, including our feelings and our reactions. So that means that our thoughts hold much heavier weight than most of us give them credit for, and it's all about perspective. Something I've learned simply from experience is how much more at peace I am when I angle my thoughts toward the feeling I want to have. So for example, we recently bought a house, the house that we're living in. And the mortgage industry is like the Wild West these days. And unlike the last two years, banks are getting a lot more stingy with their lending. So throughout the entire pre-approval and approval process, I found myself spiraling multiple times a day with thoughts like, what if we can't get approved for the loan? Where are we going to live if we can't get this house? There are no rentals in this area. What are we going to do? for months while we waited for the lenders to decide, and it made me physically ill on more than one occasion. And the most frustrating thing about it all is that all those thoughts were true. There was always a chance that we may not have been approved for that loan, no matter how hard we'd worked on saving money and improving credit scores. There still aren't any rentals in our area even now that are A, big enough, B, clean and livable, and allow pets, and see a price that we could afford even if we ate ramen for the next year. So those thoughts weren't lying to me. Maybe somewhere deep down they were trying to protect me so that I wasn't completely devastated if it had all fallen apart, but in reality they weren't protecting me at all. At least they weren't protecting my peace. So I had to work really hard to shift those thoughts to whatever happens, it will work out eventually, somehow, It always has and it always does. It may not work out in a cushy, preferable way, but we always figure it out. And at the bottom line, we have an incredible support system and they will always have our backs. And I had to just leave it at that because what good is it constantly reminding myself about the what ifs? Would me stressing about the potential of our loan having been denied have gotten it approved? Nope. 
Would me worrying about the lack of rentals available cause some miraculous influx of clean, affordable properties joining the market? Sure would be nice, but definitely not. All it would have done is clog up my brain with worry, make me feel horrible, and even worse, zap any and all productivity and energy, which is like the one thing that can distract you during times of stress. Now, I'm also a very religious and spiritually minded gal. So whether you're a religious person or not, I'm here to tell you that the Bible is packed with practical everyday wisdom that simply helps you live a more content and happy lifestyle and helps keep stress at bay. Now, that being said, I'm constantly reciting to myself the scripture at Matthew 634. It reminds us to not be anxious about the next day or the future. And I've heard that a hundred times. And as I was researching for this episode, the latter part of that scripture, which funny enough, my mother-in-law recently quoted to me on our trip to Florida with them in the fall, it held new weight for me because the last part of that scripture that I never hear get quoted as much as the beginning, it, it says this, each day has enough of its own troubles. How true is that? We have enough on our plate that needs our precious brain space every single day that we simply cannot afford to take up any of that room with nagging thoughts and worries. So keeping our perspective in a place of abundance, aka, I already have so much. I always have what I need. And things always work out, even if it's not how I wanted them to or how I expected. Those can keep us from spiraling down that self-inflicted stress path. So next, let's talk about boundaries. I personally am a crippling people pleaser to an absolute fault. It can be a great quality, I will admit it, because every group needs someone that has, yes, they have their own ideas, but they're not overly opinionated so that the conversations and the get-togethers can stay harmonious, kind of like the... um, peacekeeper in the group. That's me. I'm the peacekeeper. But when you struggle to say no to people because you want to make them happy, your own life can get pretty bogged down and cluttered. So psychologytoday.com recommends this. When in doubt, cut your expectations in half. They said, there's a little game that we play with ourselves, often behind our own backs, and it's not a good game. We always lose. It's called bring it on. It goes like this. People ask you to do things and you say yes to everything people ask, even though you know it's totally unrealistic to do so. And we don't limit ourselves to today's goals. We pile on things for next week or month and consider those in the current rotation and assume that we've got to get them all done. And P.S. It's better be spectacular. In this game of unrealistic expectations, we manufacture unnecessary disappointment and then we have to waste our precious energy consoling ourselves and overcoming contrived failure. What a waste. Solution? Don't be comprehensive and ambitious in your to-do lists. Instead, be generous with yourself. Pad your expectations. Allow yourself extra time. Notice how good it feels. What's the worst thing that could happen? You'd end up with some extra time. Bring it on. So essentially, 
We're creating inevitable failures for ourselves that we have to use valuable time and energy consoling ourselves for not accomplishing something that we were never supposed to do in the first place. Like we talked about earlier with our to-do lists. We need to keep them short, realistic, and timely. Meaning, we need our main objectives to be the most pressing matters and leave it at that. Not tack on five more tasks before we've accomplished the others. So boundaries are imperative to success in combating stress and overwhelm. According to WebMD, healthy boundaries can help us to build greater self-esteem, get clearer on who you are and what you want, bring focus to yourself and your own well-being, enhance your mental health and your emotional well-being, avoid burnout, develop independence, gain a greater sense of identity, and so many more positive things that can happen in your life if you start setting healthy boundaries. It said, setting boundaries can save you stress and give you a sense of control and freedom over how you live and spend your time. So the last factor that I mentioned above that could very well be the cause of our self-inflicted stress is perfectionism. Psychology Today calls perfectionism a disorder. They said this about it. While we might not spend much time on small things, that doesn't mean that we're at peace with that. Whether we do a good enough job or even an excellent job, the perfectionist in our head isn't ready to give up the ghost. Hang on, it could have been even better. It's not your best work yet. Remember, at any given moment, we do our best work under the current circumstances, not our best work possible under ideal conditions. There's a big difference. It's called reality. Now, I loved that sentence there. So I want to repeat that last part because it's so profound to me. So I'm going to say it again. At any given moment, we do our best work under the current circumstances, not our best work possible under ideal conditions. Circumstances and conditions are constantly changing. We cannot control them. But we can control the work we do given the circumstances, and I can almost guarantee that you do your best as often as you possibly can. So they closed out their article with this. Some people worry that stress is what makes us great, what makes us perform best. If this describes you, give yourself a gift. See how much better you function and how much better you feel. And P.S., how much happier the people around you feel with a reduced stress approach to your life. Your life, only better. Some of this is actually up to you. Make good choices. Now, we don't win awards for who's the busiest, who has the most on their plate, who slept the least to get the most done. We aren't given special recognition for agreeing to too many things, and we certainly won't be praised for being stretched too thin. We are doing ourselves and our loved ones a huge disservice by allowing ourselves to be swallowed whole by our nagging thoughts, never-ending to-do lists, and need for perfectionism. So what can we do to get control of our stress and keep overwhelm at bay? We need to do three things. 
And I promise they're completely doable and they're so simple that we can start today. And if you don't remember anything else from this episode, I want you to remember these three steps. First, we need to focus on what we can control and let go of everything else. That includes how we can respond to unexpected troubles that come our way, how we're going to feel about setbacks, and how we can be grateful for the pressing matters on our plate because it often indicates how privileged and quote-unquote rich we are. Second, we need to set healthy boundaries with ourselves and others. That can look like writing our to-do list on a smaller piece of paper so there isn't room to add more. Practicing polite ways to say no so we don't guilt trip ourselves about it afterward, which that may take practice as well. And keeping our expectations for ourselves realistic so we aren't having to do unnecessary damage control and self-consolation for failing to accomplish a task that we were never supposed to do in the first place. Third, and lastly, we need to keep our perfectionism in check. We need to remember that at any given moment, we do our best work under the current circumstances, not our best work possible under ideal conditions. We are imperfect people in an imperfect world, so nothing is and will ever be perfect right now. We need to get okay with the fact that we aren't always okay, and that We do always try our best despite our circumstances, our mental health state, and our abilities. We need to remind ourselves that performing well under stress can be helpful in a pinch, but it shouldn't be the norm, nor should we wear it like a badge of honor in order to keep piling more on ourselves until we burn out. These are wild times we're living in, and they're just going to get wilder. So I encourage you to do your best to implement these strategies so you can keep chasing your goals and loving your people in a realistic and sustainable way. You'll thank yourself for it later. Well, that is all I have for you today. Be sure to share this episode to your Instagram story and tag me in it so that I can love on you and chat with you a little bit more. And I'd also be so grateful if you shared this episode with a friend who could use this little pep talk about the role that we play in our own overwhelm. And lastly, I would be so incredibly honored if you left me a review so more people like you can find the show and get these tactics for their own lives. Well, that's it for me. And until next time, enjoy this season and all the peace it has to offer. See what I did there? We made it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Eat Your Seasons podcast. I am so thrilled and honored that you spent your precious time with me, and I can't wait to serve you more and more each week. Is this show speaking your language? Be sure to leave a review so more moms like you can find me and tune in every single week. If you'd like even more meal inspiration and seasonal living goodies, be sure to find me on Instagram at Ashton Cope, where I share it all. For all the freebies and referral codes from today's sponsors, you can head on over to ashtoncoatblog.com slash podcast. I will see you there.